Hour number three. It's the big show, Russick and Rose Sportsnet, 960, the fan. The bottom of the hour, Jason Bukla, Sportsnet scouting analyst for the Pro Hockey Group, former director of amateur scouting of the Florida Panthers. He'll join us. He said something on our show about three weeks ago saying that uh, Hockey Canada is behind the Americans in developing young players. We didn't have time to talk about that specific topic, and we'll do that today in uh, on the heels of Canada losing 3-2 to the Czech Republic and getting knocked out of the World Junior Hockey Championship uh, yesterday during our show in quarterfinal action. We'll talk to Books, but right now, courtesy of our friends at All Kind Door Services, our big show Flames analyst, the Cobra himself, Mr. Brent Cron. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. How are you? Um, I'm good. Um, that was an awkward beginning. Oh, yeah, well, my mic was off, and I shouted into it, good morning, and then nothing happened, and I couldn't hear myself. And I was like, oh, uh, my mic's off. Let me try that again. Yeah, super awkward, and I love it. Uh, I love that we started that way. Yeah, that's good. Good morning. Um, Lots to, uh, lots to dive into uh, on the uh, 3-1 win by the Calgary Flames last night over the Minnesota Wild. And, again, Jacob Markstrom... The story, once again, Croner for the Calgary Flames. He was fantastic last night. And I want to get your thoughts on this. Um, it's something Maddie and I talked about, and we definitely saw it uh, in the third period, especially when uh, Patan and Rossi were trying to dig the puck underneath uh, Markstrom. Markstrom didn't like that, used his stick on Rossi. And this was times where maybe last season were – uh, Markstrom was such a fiery competitor and his season wasn't going his way that his emotions uh, would get the best of him and maybe his play on the ice would suffer. But last night, I think, was the perfect balance of him being a super angry, fiery competitor and then at the same time being fantastic in that. Balance. Hey, George. Balance. The guy seems balanced out there. He's He's an emotional guy. As we all know, and uh, Greg Millen alluded to it last night as well, where last season it didn't go his way, and you remember certain times where he would he would snap, he would completely lose his mind, he would chase the referee down the ice. Remember he he kicked a guy from the Jets last year too. He tried to trip him, mm-hmm. um, and all yep. just for meaningless plays that games were close, and you could see his frustration boil over. And we chatted a bit about it yesterday too, where. Um, he's smiling in the net. He looks calm. Pucks are coming to him. Yeah, you know, Patan digging at you, that makes you lose your mind because you kind of have it, you kind of don't, but the whistle should go. Ref can't see it. He's digging away. He's got a right to do it. But what I like most about all that, we've talked about Markstrom so much and how calm and how in control he is, and I liked him giving that shot, but his teammates did something because a lot of times teammates don't do anything, right? Especially in a situation like that or players in the Calgary Flames where, you know, they're not known for being an overly gritty team they came to the defense of their goaltender and it wasn't a big melee it wasn't fights but you know grabbed them and threw them to the ground and you know uh, there was some jawn back and forth and and uh, they weren't going to put up with it and I, I thought that was a very telling sign on the ice of of this team coming together because you you do see throughout the season with team struggles uh all over uh the league when guys get cheap shotted or liberties are taken on certain players, and then usually if they let that go, it's usually a sign of guys not really being uh, a unit together. They don't do things uh, together, right? And here you could see one of their, their top player all season. Uh, some liberties were being taken upon him, and his teammates weren't having it. And I thought out of all of that, 
is Markstrom as good as he was and as calm as he was in a situation, even though I did like to see that extra shot because we knew it was coming. But his teammates were there for him too. Mm. And and when I saw that, I was like, this is that's that's what you want to see. Uh as a as a fan, but more importantly as a coach to know that your players are together. One of them in that scrum was Jonathan Huberto, who buried Nick Patan. I know. Like a goal, you know, gets gets a little gritty in there. <laughs> yeah. You know, right? You know, I, I you just sit there and you're Oh, like, he's back. Ah, he's back, baby. <laughs> yeah. You know, it we're we're just waiting for the floodgates to open with this guy. So we're it's the Jeff Skinner deal all over again here. <laughs> he's coming, he's gonna be all right. Yeah, don't be worry good. about it. But you no, know, bottom line for that was that was a full team effort. You know, Markstrom stood his ground. And his teammates came in, in his defense and, and grabbed a, 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 an unlikely player comes in to kind of save the day and stand up for, for, for his goaltender. And I, I love stuff like that where, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a full team game. Uh, your goalie can be your best player. Uh, but that doesn't mean that your other teammates aren't doing anything in front of you, right? Mm-hmm. That you got to do it by committee, especially on this club. And uh, we got a few boys on the score sheet last night, too, that have had some... Uh, bumps and bruises throughout the season so it was, it was a good you know it wasn't a fantastic game but they got the win um and now they started off the road four game road trip here with the, with the w it's a pretty good start uh what's the hardest you've ever speared somebody in your career oh you know what uh, spearing was is a very obvious motion mine was more uh the 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 separator um, where the guy would be standing in front of the net, mm. screening me, and you know, or the the puck would be coming from the point, and my stick would be right between his his ankles, oh. and I would just wrench that straight up. Yeah, and uh, if you get him in the right spot, because sometimes you miss, sometimes you get the inside of the mm. thigh. But you're going for those two things there that uh, can really put you yeah. up for a little bit. Yeah, and, like you're trying to slice a bagel. Yes, yeah, really exactly. zipping that thing up there, hey? And, and to, to hear the, the, the scream of sheer discomfort and pain from, from gentlemen in front of you, it's just, it's not even a, it's a, ah! <laughs> yeah, it's one of those. Not the yeah, right. Ah! Or what you do too is, is you, you kind of set it up right where if he's screening in front of you and you got some time, you know he's not going to shoot at you. You flip his helmet, you from the back with your blocker, so it goes over his eyes. So he's got to <laughs> fix his helmet, and then you crack him in the ankle, oh. or you give him a couple shots in the back of the leg. Mortal Kombat right? combo. You know, it's move. a combo, right? It's not a fatality, but it's a combo. <laughs> and uh, and uh, you know there are things you can do. I was never a spearing guy. I was more of a a separator type of person. <laughs> Did you did you ever fantasize of doing a Ron Hextall on Ken Nielsen move? All the time. There are guys that I would sit there and just dream about doing, but I could never bring myself to do it because the second I would do it, I, I would think about it, I would get myself off my game because that's all I wanted to yeah. do. You know, I never snapped really on the ice. Always in complete control, whether uh, not maybe internally but externally. But you know what? That even that uh, the old helicopter. A lot of times where the goalies used to swing their stick around on wraparounds. And if, and, if, yeah. and if you just keep it off the ice about four inches, it'll crack somebody right in the ankle. You have no desire to go for the puck whatsoever. It's uh, stuff, little, little stuff that you don't think you can get away with anymore, but uh, definitely fun nonetheless. <laughs> fun nonetheless. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of the things I'm thinking about with Jacob Markstrom yesterday, and we talked about it before the game, but you've really enjoyed watching him play the puck this year. Yes. And when you've got a Minnesota Wild team that is heavy on the forecheck and just likes to take a bite out of your defenseman every single shift, how much more do you think he's trying how much more of an emphasis do you think he might have in that particular game to knock pucks down and and try and save his teammates from one two three extra hits because frankly as you look over at Chris Tanev's terrible smile it's kind of the least he can do (laughs) yeah well you know what I don't think Markstrom's game changed because he loves playing the puck no matter who it is I think it's more of a focus for the opposition team especially Minnesota knowing 
that that's kind of their system mm-hmm. to get pucks in deep and run the crap out of the D and the guys who have the puck back there. Um, and so they know that, hey, keep it away from Markstrom. Don't, don't give him access to it because that is definitely, you notice that when you're really good at playing the puck, like Fleury's not good at playing the puck, right? He, no. He's not very, he's never been good at it in That his second career. goal he should have covered. Well, and... he, he should have covered it or he should have given the defenseman a chance to pick it up. But he put it like six inches yeah. from the back of the net. On his backhand, the guy's jammed up. He's got no play whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, but with Markstrom, I mean, we saw it here with Smith years ago. About he almost overplayed it, where he was yeah. really good with it, but he would he would have about you know five to to ten horrible giveaways a year that would cost a, a game. Whereas Markstrom, you know, I think the last mistake he made with the puck was in Nashville, where he coughed it up, but then he jumped back in the net and made that spectacular save earlier in the season. And we had the yell. Yes. With the player yell. Yes. Where if GVP was That's here, exactly he would have played it. right. Yeah, yeah. It was almost maybe a month ago then. Because I don't know where it is. But, but uh, you know, he's he's consistent with it. He doesn't make many high-risk plays. Mm. The high-risk plays he makes are the little when he's behind the net and he passes it up to the centerman right in front of the net there. But he makes that pass. It's crisp. Um, and I really, really, uh, right, it, it makes a huge difference. Your D-men will tell you mm-hmm. how much they appreciate that because getting run at this, the way how fast the game is nowadays, yeah. you almost don't want to be the first one to go in and get the puck because you know you're going to get smoked, and that's a D-man's curse. And if you have a goaltender that can play the puck, guys love it. There's just, like, there are certain instances where you're watching and, like, I see Rasmus Anderson, like, shy away from Pat Maroon, (laughs) give it up. Like, right after that penalty in the second period, they kill it off fine, and Maroon goes and throws a big hit on Anderson. He just gives it up. He wants no part of it, and then it's, like, extended pressure, and it kind of lasts. So that was just something I was thinking, you know, watching him play the puck because you can save your defenseman so much grief if they don't have to go back with dude bearing down on them right on their hip, right? So that's a tough place to be. I wanted to ask you about Dennis Gilbert. I'm watching the game yesterday. He's playing really well in, in kind of that second pair role. He's getting a little bit elevated right now. How would we feel about like a short-term Dennis Gilbert extension? Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't have a problem with it. Honestly, he's contributed. He would be a good, you know, six, seven D-man filling in spots, moving up in the roster if he could. That's kind of the way I see it, right? right? Like like, a, like especially if you trade a Tanev and a Hannafin. Right? Yep. All of a sudden, you're going to need guys who can play at the NHL level. You look at the AHL, where, you know, we've watched the Wranglers a little bit. Is Slovyov ready for full-time role? I don't know. Is Kuznetsov? No. no. Is Poirier? He's been hurt all year. Really hard to say. This was going to be a big year for him and still can be, but he's going to have limited time to get better. So that's why I was just wondering, like, I'm watching and I'm saying, yeah, if you want to go out and give him a couple of years, you know, buck and a half, something like that. I think he's a guy who could plug away on your third pair, maybe turn into a little bit more of a PK guy down the road. We know that Ryan Huska can turn guys into really strong penalty killers. I don't know. I was just thinking about it yesterday. I thought I'd throw it your way and see what you thought. And that little short side snipe on Sunday. That was nasty. You know, that was yeah. a little slippery. I didn't see that coming. And he's got a little grease to him, yeah, which this team does not have a lot yeah. of right now. You know what? I wouldn't have a problem with it. Yeah. You know, I, he obviously knows his role, right? Mm-hmm. He, he's comfortable in the player that he is. He's been around for a while. He's been in the system. Huskin knows him, right? So uh, for, for him to uh, get an extension at uh, minimal dollars, yeah, I would have no problem with that whatsoever. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, and he seems like a good team guy. I, I was in the scrum with him yeah. after he scored that bingo um, in the last home game before they headed on this road trip. If you haven't watched the Dennis Gilbert scrum, do yourself a favor. Yeah. It is he just has so much personality. The entire time he's very self-deprecating, yep. but at the same time very endearing and very complimentary of his teammates. So, if you haven't watched the Dennis Gilbert scrum from back on uh whatever it was, New Year's Eve, 
Highly recommend you go check it out. I'll do it because yeah. I know uh, even with some of our alumni skates, he's been around the the rink and a few of the guys know him and they're chatting with him and stuff. And I I just really liked. It. I didn't say hi to him. I just well, I blew right by him. Cause, you should. Yeah. You too. You guys would chop it up. I'm, I'm guessing hey, you guys would be able to chop it up. Pick like you yeah. were. No, no, he wasn't. Unfortunately, need the clout over here, right? To yeah, break but, down a few uh, doors. I do believe he's played more NHL games, but that's fine. It's, we don't have to I was get a goalie. It. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's yeah. different. It's, Sliding it's scales. Different. Yeah, yeah exactly. Each one of yours is worth five. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's different. Yeah, yeah. Um, that How much is, is the just voice one period? Our... No, sorry, what? No, never mind. Go ahead, George. Sorry. Uh, that is the voice of our uh, Flames Big Show um, analyst, Mr. Brent Cron, the Cobra, courtesy of All Kind Door Services. Big Show, Russick and Rose, 960, the fan. Um, wanted to ask you on the goal uh, the Wild scored last night. Just two things. Your thoughts on the Osterley pinch. And number two, would you rather make that save that Markstrom made and then Maroon just banged it in? Or would you rather the initial shot just go in because you're like, I can't believe I just made that save and then it still went in anyway? We'll get to the easy one first. Uh, I would rather have him just scored on that shot because uh, um, that just – you. In, in that split second, like, I got it. Oh, I didn't get it. Like, you, you know, it's it hit his paddle. He came across. It was an unreal desperation save. It's best of the night. Yeah. Yeah, you know, highlight reel. You could just hear him. Oh, it's high. Oh, it's yeah. a goal. And, and Pat Maroon just tapped it in, yeah. right? It's like, of course. Why did I even get across, right? Yeah. Just shoot it bar down. Make it, you know, a goal scorer's goal and just end the night. We can get back up and carry on. Yeah. But, uh, um, you know, Markstrom, once again, all season long, doesn't quit on plays, and he'll throw whatever he can in the kitchen sink. It was a three-on-one. And, you know, for Osterley to have that poor of awareness, you have three forwards trapped below the dots to go in on a pinch. Mistakes happen. Don't get me wrong. Um, it was a terrible, 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 terrible pinch. And uh, it was three-on-one coming back, and, you know, that's just the way she goes. But uh, the Flames were able to stick with it. Um, you know, Markstrom was their best player the first couple minutes of that first period, and then obviously the first half of the third period where they were outshot a million to two. 15-2. Yeah. Right? And, and, and you see, uh, like, at the end of the first period, I was watching the game, and I just remember thinking, like, Minnesota just wants to get out of this period. You could, you could just <laughs> see them. They, they would get the puck on the boards, and they would just try to eat it or make these limp plays to get out of the zone. Backman would whack it down, and then they'd come back in, and you could just see the momentum building. And then when Sharon Govich just flipped that puck in, and Fleury got I know what he was thinking. It's like there's 23 seconds left in the first period here. Let's get out of here. I, I don't want to whistle and have them set up and ha- have a chance to get a scoring chance, so I'm going to play it. But he, but he busted up his D-man so bad. I don't even know if he told him he was doing He just kind of threw it out to the side. Um and you could just tell if Minnesota wanted to escape that period, and then obviously Calgary uh, uh, pots that to make it two nothing. And and you know actually, uh, uh, Matt and I were talking earlier too with all the all the injuries that Minnesota had. Sometimes these games can be a sleepy one, a tricky one for the Flames, where you you see mm. that Gustafson's gone, that Brodine's out, Zuccarello, Capriza, Felino, right? All your big guns in Minnesota uh, that are gone. You can kind of sit there and think, you know what? The the message is is hey, we're not changing our system. We're not we're playing. The same way we normally play, but in the back of guys' minds, like, well, hey, you know, this guy's not here, and this guy's not here, and you know, it should be an easier, easier night, and you can get yourself trapped uh, uh, by just not rising to the occasion. Um, I thought, like I said, Markstrom was good early. Uh, Minnesota, they, uh, you know, that Goligoski slap shot from the from the top yep. of the circle there that hit the post. That was a a, a break the Flames needed, but uh, all in all, once again, a uh, it's a road win, and it was a close <laughs> game, and they kept the lead. And I thought everybody did uh, that. That backland line, they were all over the place. Dynamite. Dynamite. Wow. Them and I thought the Lindholm line just stood head and shoulders above yes. a lot of guys. Yeah. 
you know, when we talk about how Lindholm and Huber don't have much chemistry and, and, or they haven't had much chemistry, right? But that pass from Lindholm right onto Huberdeau's tape, and he knew what he was doing. It was forehand. Of, Beat his man to the front of the net. Right. And, and so, especially against a team like Minnesota, too, where it's, it's, it's heavy hockey. Mm-hmm. And, and Minnesota's one point ahead of them in the standings. It was a big game for the Flames. And, and they won a close game on the road, and everybody contributed. They had some scary moments. Uh, not everyone's going to be perfect out there, but they managed to get the win, and that's the most important part. And got it in regulation as well. Yes. the big one. Exactly. Didn't give away that loser point. Um, the other note that I wanted to ask you about, um, what do you think is older, Alex Golgoski or the helmet that he's currently wearing? <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's got like the inch and a half of foam yes. between his head and the helmet. It looks like <laughs> everything that you saw in like the early 2000s. Like it's, I'm pretty sure it's what Joe Sackick yep. wore. Yeah. I didn't notice his helmet. I just noticed a slap shot. But, you know, he's a younger... Well, he's, what, how old is he? Early 30s? He's like 33, I want to say. He looks old, though. Hey? And that helmet doesn't really <laughs> help him. It's like, you <laughs> no, know, it's, it it's, like, it's like, you know, being 35 and having gray hair. It's like dye your hair, you look younger immediately, right? Maybe maybe change the bucket. You might add four See, or five more years to his career. Look at the foam on the side of that. I know. That's, it, that is awesome. It's just like it's trying to squeeze his brain in yep. there. Like you really it's, the gotta, old, it's the old Cooper helmet. He's also 38. 38? Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. He's been around for a while. He has. 38. Wow. He's almost as old as me. I think his first year was 06, 07. He was drafted in 2004. Wow. 06, 07. Look at that. 85 born? 61st overall. Wow. Yeah, made his NHL. Played a thousand games last. Played his thousandth game last year. <laughs> He's got a lot of potential. He'd be around for 07, a long time. 07, 08 was his first year. Gee whiz. Which four teams has he played for? Dallas. Mm-hmm. Arizona. Pittsburgh. Yeah. Minnesota. Yeah. George uh, got the other one. Well, I didn't hear that. Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. Okay. Drafted him. Oh, uh, yeah. Just like that. Um, How about that? Wow. Little Alex Golgoski. The more you know, hey? Yep. Speaking of guys uh, playing their thousandth game, Croner, um, wanted to t- ask you about Marc-Andre Fleury. And from a guy like myself who grew up idolizing Patrick Waugh, um, the fact that Fleury's about to pass him in all-time wins is a travesty to me because I don't even <laughs> think Marc-Andre Fleury is even in the same universe as Patrick Waugh. No, I don't think so either. But... But I remember playing against Flurry in the American Hockey League. He was in Wilkes-Barre in like 2000 and whatever it was. Yellow pads? 2004. Yeah. And uh, it was one of the early, earlier games. This, we won 5-3. I think I've mentioned this on the radio before. No big deal. Yeah, probably. But, you yeah. out-dueled them? <laughs> I out-dueled them, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I knew right then and there I was de- de- destined for greatness. Yeah, but okay. uh, um, to play 1,000 games as a goaltender, what, there's only three others that have done it. Right, that's yeah. Patty, Patty Waugh, Berdur, and Luongo. Mm-hmm. Right, yep. all all, uh, all guys from the queue. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, he's had a great career. You know, I remember his rookie season, or not rookie season, but his first Stanley Cup he won. Yep. And he, he, he was unbelievable. Like, well, the save he made. Uh, who was the save he made in the game? Seven on Lidstrom. There? On Lidstrom, right at the end. Just on like lights out. Yeah. Right, and and he was. He, the way he could move in the net, I'll never forget playing against him because he would come out so far, he would challenge so far, and yet he was never out of position. He could move, he could slide in the net. He he was so flexible, he was so athletic, he was he was incredible to watch. Um, and 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 obviously throughout his career, he's had one hell of a career. And you know, I always, there was some 
you know, mental issues that he was having too there for a while where, you know, he was backing up in the playoffs when they mm-hmm. had, uh, uh, you know, a, a few other goalies come in and, and, and I forget his name. He's a big Matt Yankee. Murray Matt was in Murray. there for a while. Yeah, for two, yeah. two cups. Yeah, right. he came in and replaced him. Right. And then there was the expansion with everything. Yeah, he, it's kind of been a, a crazy yeah. last few years. Like a lot the of snake drama. guy took his net in Vegas. Yeah. Yeah. Alan Walsh's <laughs> tweet. Yeah. Alan Walsh the, had the, the yeah, sword in the back. The sword tweet. Like, yeah. I don't know if there is a like we talk about hockey players and personalities and perhaps the lack thereof in a lot of situations i don't know if there's someone who's had more of a gregacious kind of personality that people can really feel even if you're not even a fan of the penguins even if you're just kind of a general nhl fan the stuff with brandon dehame is so good in the wild right now (laughs) this this prank rivalry he has it's just it's he's just one of those guys i'm going to be sad when he's out of the league because everywhere he goes he brings a smile to my face like you think about the other personalities on that penguins team that he came out of nowhere and basically jumped over all of them Mm -hmm. crosby Malkin, Letang. Carter, Latang, uh, not Carter. Um, before Carter was there, it was Jordan Stahl yeah. was there. Like, I don't know. I, I'm going to be sad when he hangs him up for well, sure. And and is there any goalie that really has more fun playing the position than th- than than anyone? Because David every... Riddick did, but he didn't do it at the same level. No, did very good. No, yeah. but you, you know, like you know, I know a lot of goalies, myself included, where. The position was a stressful position. It always was. I enjoyed it. Your like, head case. But you're yeah. a head case. You're, yeah. and, and it took me later long. <laughs> seriously, nut job. You yeah. know, the hamster's flying in the wheel a million miles an hour, right? <laughs> Guys handle the stress differently. And and later on in my career, I could kind of just relax and you kind of grow and you mature as a person and you kind of, you know, not figure it out, but you're more comfortable with a few things and and uh, you ain't as hard on yourself as, uh, as as you have been and whatnot. But Fleury, like, you watch him in games. Remember when he was flicking guys' ears and scrums and oh, squirting yeah. water at him? Yeah, and, yeah. You know, just doing yep. stuff like that. And, you know, in practice, you know, he's always the guy jovial. He's coming out, and, and he's he's polite. I've met him a handful of times and super down-to-earth guy. And, and so he's a heart and soul guy. Like, he cares, you know. And yeah. remember in the World Juniors where he yeah. made that blunder oh, with, the, with the... Patty with O'Sullivan. The puck, right? Yeah. yeah. And you could just see him, and I just felt so, so bad for him. And... um. And then you, you know, he's been with Pittsburgh for so long, and then he gets, you know, passed over, and then he goes to Vegas, and he finds a spot there where and he's their hero yeah, for the a few years. Love him. They go to the Stanley Cup final, and they lose to Washington, and and then they pass over him too again, and like you know, for all the he's had a great career. Oh yeah, but you know, for for being passed over by teams that you've kind of built a legacy with and have been the guy, it hurts. Mm-hmm. And a guy like that, where he's an he is an emotional guy too, you can tell. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, he's still smiling, you know, and he's played a thousand games and I'm not painting him out here to be a victim. Hockey is a business and it's a business of winning. Um, but you see him even now after a thousand games, he's yeah. still smiling and having fun. And, and I think they, I, I heard Leslie uh, in the intermission interviewing one of the guys from Minnesota, one of the reporters saying just the way Fleury's behaving, the way he acts, yeah. you know, he, he doesn't look, appear like he's going to be retiring anytime soon. He, he played a great game last night, I mm-hmm. thought, and he's, he's been great. He's been basically... Two two organizations have told him you're done. Pittsburgh yep. did, yep. Vegas did, and he said, "I'm going to go to the worst team in the NHL, and I'm going to rejuvenate my yep. career." Chicago. How about that? Yes, <laughs> and that's what he did. He went to Chicago. Yep. Now he's in Minnesota, and as much as he hasn't always been the starter, whenever they call upon him, nails the guys. The guy's got a great attitude, right? And he yeah. love and he loves hockey. He loves winning, and and he battles. Like it's fun watching him when when he's in the zone too. He's kind of got that uh he holds his glove a little weird in my opinion. You know, I was watching him last night and I told my son, "Look at Flurry how he's 
how he's holding his glove. Everybody's got a different system and how they're taught, and you can sometimes just got to let guys grow into their own uh, own ability here and 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 mm. work with uh, obviously what's best for them. But just the, the you know AJ Greer when I think he came across the you know he fan on the backhand. I think it was in the third period, and then he reset and got the puck again, and. Flurry was coming across, missed a shot, and then did the split save to the right post. And just the never giving up attitude that he has. He'll make saves on his back. He'll dive across. And, and he's not really the cookie cutter um, playing the angles, the mathematical equation goaltender like we've seen a lot of French-Canadian goaltenders over the years. He's got his own style. He's athletic. He makes big saves, makes hard saves look just awesome. The big windmill, old-school glove saves, the pad stacks, the poke checks. Like He's, he's awesome. He, he'll be missed when he's gone for sure. Um, are you, do you have your uh, inquisitive hat on? Do you have your question hat on to ask Jason Bukula some questions? I got one. Okay. Maybe more. It might, yeah. it might grow into more. Okay. Yep. Uh, it Came might terminate into more. I yes. like that. Yeah. Um, we'll talk to Jason Bukula next. Uh, he was on our show about three weeks ago saying, hey, uh, Canada's behind the United States in developing players. Uh, we'll get his opinion on why and what are some of the things Hockey Canada can do to remedy potentially that issue. So we'll talk to Jason Bukla next. Brent Cron's going to stick around. It's the big show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Live from Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio, it's the big show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Brent Cron, our big show Flames analyst, courtesy of All Kind Door Services, still in studio. Yep. He's going to sit in on an interview. Look at that, Brent Cron. <laughs> Moving up in the world. Look at you. Yeah. So multi-talented. <laughs> You're such a dynamo. Unexplainable. Yes. In- inexplicable. Name literally yes. one other talent. Oh, I could, but not on air. Excuse me? Um, That your friends can't watch. <laughs> uh, Jason Bukala. Can't? Mm. Yes. Jason, stop it. Jason Bukala <laughs> is uh, the former director of amateur scouting of the Florida Panthers. He is a Sportsnet draft analyst and from the Pro Hockey Group. And he joins us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Jason, good morning. How are you? Well, why, why am I picturing from way over here all of you guys like on like some sectional right now with uh, a couple <laughs> dozen donuts and coffees and stuff? I mean, sitting here listening to this, this is awesome. A couple darts. Yeah, a couple yeah. heaters sitting on the couch. A couple morning yeah. darts. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jason, in a question to throw Brent Cron completely under the bus, in your professional opinion, why didn't his career work out? Oh, shut it, George. There we go. Nice one. I'm not even going to go. I mean, hey, listen, okay. the, the, the reality is he had way more of a career than anybody else on this call. So why would we ever? Yeah, it's that? true. We got to be kind. Boom. We got to be kind. Um, uh, Brent, why don't you tell him the quote you had? Uh, when Ricky <laughs> went number one. Yeah. Why don't you good tell one. Boots yeah. the quote you told TSN at the time during the draft show to Darren Dreger? Why don't you tell Jason Bukala what you said about Rick DiPietro in your draft year? Well, let me tee this up. I, <laughs> unbeknownst to me, you know, I was I was flying on on energy my draft day, and uh, uh, Dreger asked me a question about, uh, or we were talking about Rick DiPietro or whatnot, and basically my comment was, I don't remember saying this, but it's on tape, so it's true. <laughs> I said, I've heard this guy can play the puck, but can he stop it? That's what I said. And uh, <laughs> that's probably where it went down for me after that and uh, where his kind of went up. So, you know, I stuck my foot in my mouth unbeknownst to me, but George kindly brought that up a month and a half ago. We played the audio. It was great. That is fantastic. And that brings me back to, like, when the salary cap first became a thing. Remember the 15-year contract yes. you got? and. 
And the owner at the time was thinking about putting a sumo wrestler between the pipes and all kinds of weird <laughs> well, stuff. It was it was bizarre. When Di Pietro got bizarre. that contract, I called my agent like, I'll take half that, seven and a half for 30. Let's go right now. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that didn't happen either. Hmm. No way. Uh, no take back um, on that one either? No. no? Okay. No, no, That's too bad. No. That's too bad. Um, Jason, you uh, you said something to us really interesting about three weeks ago, I would say, when you were on, and we always appreciate when you take time for us on this program. Um, Canada got knocked out yesterday at the World Junior Hockey Championships, obviously to the Czech Republic. And as Maddie brought up earlier, um, Canada missing a lot of big, potentially, pieces that could help them win a gold medal. But you said something to us that was very interesting that we kind of want to dive into a little bit here is that we as a country in Canada are lagging behind the United States in player development. What are some of the reasons why, Jason? Well, grassroots hockey in the U.S. Um, across the board has become very structured and very organized. And what I mean by that is we try and chase it in Canada, you know, with different types of, um, you know, private schools and you know, like here in, well, I'm from Ontario, obviously. And so in the Toronto market, for example, um, you know, if a kid uh, is in his major bantam year and he's playing for the Mississauga Senators and it's his draft year the following year and he doesn't like the look of the franchise, he can hop over to the Marlies and the Marlies will recruit him and, you know, all kinds of weird things will be promised and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I think that the way that we, and it's not just the U.S. guys, it's over here, like in Sweden, and Brent, maybe you can, you know, even talk to this with some of the guys you played with over the years. Like when they grow up over here, they get thrust into the programs like Malmo or Rogla or, you know, here for Lunda here in Gothenburg. And, and they're brought along. Um, they land at the, call it the U14, and then they go to the 16. So wherever they're best suited to be based on their current ability is where they land and they develop them and they nurture it without all the outside noise and the politics and, that's what's going on in the U.S. I'm going to tell you, it's a wave in the U.S. The more popular the game gets from coast to coast, and we're seeing players come out of all kinds of different regions now. And college hockey's fantastic in Colorado. It's going to be on the horizon in California. Like, I really believe you're going to see the USC's of the world and the UCLA's uh, eventually have hockey programs to go with Arizona State. Um, so it's a wave that we're chasing, and – I got to be frank. I think we're pretty cocky in Canada. I think that we ride the coattails of, of talent, but we don't necessarily breed um, enough of it across the entire landscape of the country. And eventually that catches up to you. Um, you mentioned something that really uh, just stuck out to me there. Politics outside of if you're a player like McDavid or Bedard, it doesn't matter. They're, they're, they're free of any sort of politics with parents and coaching, but does, is that something that's creeping into the game way too much now, Jason, when it comes to player development? I know it sounds uh, it, it sounds very, I don't know, it's like a loaded question I'm asking you when it comes to politics, but I feel like that's maybe getting into the way of development. Do you feel the same way? I do. I absolutely do. I mean, years ago in Nashville, I worked with Marty Jelena, and, uh, you know, we when we were developing kids in Nashville back in the day, you know, we weren't anywhere close to a cap team, and we really relied upon drafting wisely and then developing them uh, within a certain structure, you know, towed the rope in the same direction. Everybody went to Milwaukee, 
Like Ryan Suter went to Milwaukee. Shea Weber went to Milwaukee. Thomas Fukun went to Milwaukee. That's how they started. And then they came up to the big team and they, you know, their careers took off from there. But nowadays, guys, I find that I think that general managers, organizations have put their player development staff in um, a tough spot sometimes because all these kids coming up, if they find early success, I don't care what it is, they get called up, they, you know, they, they their first 40 games is, is really high end. Um, before you know it, it starts creeping in these conversations like, well, maybe we should extend them. You know, as soon as he's available for an extension, let's give him this because we're going to save money down the, down the road. And I'm of the appetite that too much too soon, like let's give them a carrot to make them chase it for a longer period of time. They're already making fantastic money. Why does a 19, 20, 21 year old have to be doing a bridge deal? that's going to pay them eight and a half million dollars when they haven't won a single playoff game in the league. Um, that's a that's a tough lift for player development when the eye on the prize is, is money instead of playoff wins at some in some circumstances. I'm not saying it's all of them, but I'm just saying that it's a it's a wrinkle in there. Jason, I'm wondering about the U.S. national team development program. So last year, 2023 draft in the first two rounds, seven players drafted from this particular team. The year before, 2022, nine players in the first two rounds drafted off the national player uh national team development program can you tell us what it is down in the u.s and is there a possibility for something like that in canada to kind of get all of these guys coming up together all the most elite canadian talent or would the chl block that yeah the chl and hockey canada there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes there i don't see it ever happening in our country the chl especially obviously carries a, a big stick in that fight so um, the the interesting thing in the States, guys, is that, you know, the USHL, so the U.S. National Team Development Program, yeah, they go to Plymouth and they, they develop in Plymouth, but they play in the USHL and they get to travel around the world and play, you know, in different international events. And, um, you know, there's no guarantee for that team. I don't know if people know this, but when you're on the U18 team, there's no guarantee through the course of the year that you're going to be named to the year-end team, which is their world championship team. They put the most value in that. And there has been times in the past where somebody hasn't pulled their weight at the U18 level and a kid on the U17s has, you know, blossomed uh, through the course of the year and he earns a spot on the U18 team for the world championships. Isn't that the way it should be? Like, isn't that the way it should be? You know, like mm. when you're playing at the highest level and you're, you're, you know, getting the job done, you should be rewarded. And if you're not, I think that's a strong lesson to, to learn because when you want to be a pro athlete, there's no easy days travel, practice, uh, Daryl Sutter's leaning on you one day, the next year it's somebody else, Ryan Huska, totally different way of uh, approaching things. There's no easy days, fellas. And um, I don't see us changing that part of the model per se, but uh, this team over here, Team Canada, I felt a little bit bad for them in in some pockets because I didn't think that um, they were necessarily fairly assembled based on the strengths and weaknesses of some of the uh, the kids on the team. Um, I'm going to switch gears on you here for a second and move over to goaltending. Um, I remember uh, my draft year in 2000 and having to go through interviews with, uh, I think, 26 teams. And a bunch, bunch of the questions were, why should we draft you now instead of waiting for Pascal Leclerc? And you remember um, the powerhouse of the French-Canadian goaltenders there for like 8, 10 years. It was just any time a, a French-Canadian goaltender came out and played for Team Canada, it was... This guy was nails. He, he had a system that he played. They all kind of looked like they came out of a factory, essentially, and they were all very efficient and, and very athletic and very good. And then you, 
move over to the Finnish side where, I mean, you had Pekarina in Nashville. I played against him in the minors. I, I, my first game against Kari Lettinen was, I was, remember yeah. watching him. He was playing in Chicago and I was in Omaha or San Antonio. Don't even remember. And I remember watching him in that game, just how phenomenal he was. And then you had the Kippersovs and the Backstroms. And then you kind of went to the Swedish side a bit. And now you see a Russian resurgence. And, you know, what's, what's going on with uh, Canada goaltending right now? I, know, I thought the goaltending this year for Team Canada was pretty good. But we haven't seen a dominant guy in net for a while for 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 the, for the Canadians. Well, first of all, I got to say, I hope it was San Antonio. Not I like Omaha, but San Antonio's uh, that's a wagon of a town. So <laughs> yes, that's, it that's is. A great spot. <laughs> <laughs> the River Walk is a discussion for another day. You know, while we're crushing a bevy somewhere. But anyway, yes, I digress. Yes. yes. Um, um, I don't have a I don't have an ideal answer for it, other than to suggest that uh, because you're you're bang on, like. If you look at the uh, what's coming through our system right now, like if we had a World Cup uh, start this February, let's just say, um, who are our goalies in Canada? Mm-hmm. Well, it's like Carter Hart, probably, right? Yep. Like Carter Hart and Aiden then, Hill, Mark Andre yeah, Fleury, still Hill. in the conversation. Like I don't know, maybe, maybe you know, like so. How's Carey's we back in the day? <laughs> yeah, back in the day, we were arguing about the Carey Prices and the Ed Balfours and the Marty Brodeurs and you know all these other kind of guys. Yep. So. Um, the only thing that I can suggest to you guys is that I feel like hockey's become an elitist sport in Canada. I think it's probably that way in a lot of pockets around the world, but it's better supported in the club system, especially here in Europe. Those kids aren't doling out money out of their pocket to buy the equipment, et cetera, et cetera. So if you want to be a goalie and that's what you're, you know, and you're good enough uh, athletically to be a goalie, they're going to nurture that. You know, if you buy in, they're going to buy in with you as well. Uh, you know, I don't know too many parents out there who can afford for their kid to play triple A hockey which is going to probably cost them ten grand by the time they travel all over the place. And oh, by the way, go buy a hundred and eighty dollar goalie <laughs> stick and outfit the kid in two thousand dollar equipment. I mean, it's a it's a heavy lift. So, what I'm saying is that I'd like to see us come up with some sort of internal model at the minor hockey system where we like how many if you got ten teams in your minor hockey system, twenty goalies. Why can't we earmark thirty bucks a family, whatever it is? so that we can, you know, provide for, for goaltenders coming through and it's not such a heavy lift for the parents. That's the only thing that I can think of. That's the only reason why um, I could be totally off guard with that. But, I mean, otherwise, it's it's dried up. Like, Matthias Russo, was, he, he played as good as he could over here, guys. Yeah, he really I did. Agree. He's a foot eleven goalie. He I felt horrible for him the second goal yesterday. But he had a really good tournament on balance. So, um, but it's not... You know, no disrespect to him, but it's not like the those names that we've already name dropped here. Like it's it's different right now. No, and and to your point about cost, I had to feel the pain there a year ago. I had to buy my very first goalie stick after twelve years of pro, and I walked in with my old Warrior goalie stick in Lloydminster, Alberta, to some sports shop. I was playing an alumni game, and I'm like, I need this stick. And the 18 year old kid looked at me like I was a dinosaur and sold me a, a stick for three hundred and eighty dollars, and I wanted to break it over the table. It was awful, but that's. All I got to say about that. That's beautiful. You brought you brought your own pattern into a yeah, I did. Saying, I want a hey, Kron you have, warrior. You have this. Yeah, yeah. How many of these do you have on the shelf right now? Yeah. <laughs> this is stock, right? Yeah. yeah. You guys keep these around? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Good. Incredible stuff. Uh, Great. Jason Great. Bukula, I totally forgot you were in Gothenburg, Sweden, because I'm such a professional, Jason, uh, joining us on the Atlas Pizza in sports bar. It, it's happy hour yes, over there, like, George. Like, we're holding up his afternoon. Yeah, sorry. Oh, buddy, yeah. I wish. I wish. I wish it was happy hour. It's too, it's too busy. Too much today. 
Uh, such it's as craft beer capital of Sweden, though. Before, before, before anybody ever wants to come over here, it's the craft beer capital of Sweden. So the Canadian fans are out there drowning their sorrows all day long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I bet you've, um, you've you've stayed away though. You've been really smart that way. I have. It's just been too busy. Like mm. uh, between you know the .ca stuff and uh, a little bit of TV and some different things. I've been uh, I've been a responsible. Mm. Uh, Professional. I've been a pro. Yeah, I've been a pro. Yeah. i got to pick my spot. Yeah, sounds like excuses. Uh, sorry, George, go ahead. <laughs> okay, uh, yeah. I, I guess let's do this. Um, this team in general, obviously, they lose. Um, they don't have Connor Bedard. Tristan Luno never shows up. He gets sick and actually gets stuck in Sweden with this illness. Zach Benson, Adam Fantilli, there's a lot of Canadians that weren't there. But is that the reason that they lost? No, that's not the reason they lost. I mean... Listen, we have a lot of uh, quality players that are playing in the CHL, the NCAA, and you know some of them at the pro level, obviously. And like, I, I'm not, I don't want to use those things as excuses, guys. I don't think it's right because you have to learn a lesson in defeat. It's not every year that you win. Like you learn lessons when you win, but you should also learn lessons in defeat. So you should take stock of, you know, the reasons why we weren't successful this time and. You know, we have a big country with a lot of quality players. So are we going to really stare at Czechia and Finland? Finland's got like 5 million people to live in the entire country. Like the, that's like the circumference of Toronto, Mississauga, Barrie, you know, all that area. So are we really going to sit back here and, and say that, well, this guy wasn't here and this guy wasn't here? I guess we can, but I don't think that's right. And I think it's okay for the kids that were here, if they underperformed, to not, or not to be mean about it. Just say, hey, listen bottle that experience, understand what went right, what went wrong. And you talk about player development because every NHL team's got their player development guys over here. Let's bottle that, move on to the next uh, stage in the process, but let's not forget about it because you don't want to feel like that ever again. So I take a different stock in, in all those things. Hey, how did Fraser Minton and Easton Cowan look? Because those are a couple of Leafs prospects that I know Flames fans are interested in whenever people start talking about Chris Tanev and the possibility of a trade. Yeah, so let's start with Cowan. Cowan has lots of sprint to his game. You know, he's he's quick, he's darting. Um, he kind of bounced around from a middle six, bottom six type of role. No power play time, killed penalties, pressured it up ice. And, you know, he can create turnovers uh, through the neutral zone too. He's got good pounce on a puck. Like if somebody's, you know, coming through and they're a little lazy or they're not paying attention, he can pounce on a puck. So he was fine. Um, he only scored one goal. It was an empty netter. But really his role was to be an energy provider. And I thought – given his age and whatever else, he was okay. Um, Minton only scored three points in the tournament. They were both against a lot, or all three of them came against Latvia and Germany. Um, I feel like the captaincy was a heavy lift between the years, potentially. Um, I've seen him, you know, at the Traverse City uh, rookie tournament this year with the Leafs and then tracking through training camp, et cetera. Um, he was he was a shell of himself over here. And I think that he would agree with that too. So, again, reflect upon it. Ask yourself the reason why. Go back to the dub. Um, you know, and uh, get your game back on track. But, uh, guys, he was, uh, like, the big ice didn't um, – he's smart enough to be above it when they don't have the puck. But the the grind game and, you know, creating turnovers and then, you know, even you know jumping up ice with it. Uh, one team – one thing I have to say this, and this is something that um, I think these, this team should take away from this is 
the bigger ice, every other team in this tournament, they move the puck quicker in transition than we did. We were skating pucks up ice like the way you do in a North American ice surface, you know, when you can transition. Everybody else makes a play, goes to open space, makes a play, goes to open. So the puck's always moving, and we didn't do that well enough, and Mint was, uh, was part of that as well. Uh, what's after watching uh, Macklin Celebrini, obviously in the tournament, what's the comparable for fans? Obviously dynamic player. Uh, we saw some really nice goals. He scored. He made some really nice plays. What's your comparable right now to Celebrini in the NHL, Jason? Well, I'm sticking by, like I've heard people talk about uh, different players, uh, but I'm sticking by, he's kind of got some McKinnon and Fantilli. So same trajectory as Fantilli. He's got some uh, in and out dart. Like, don't don't misunderstand though. I understand McKinnon is stronger and he's like, super explosive off the flank. Um, this kid has that, not quite like McKinnon, but what you know when you see McKinnon pull up and, and spin off a guy and he doesn't break stride, like he's really hard to defend. That's the way Celebrini is as well. So, I love this compete. Um, I thought that he was Canada's best player on balance um, and. Hey, you know, San Jose is uh, treading water, obviously, in last place. And, and we all know that his dad's down there, Celebrini's dad, works for the Golden State Warriors, right? And this could be one of those situations where the kid uh, ends up in San Jose with his dad right there working for Golden State with the lottery. Uh, that would work out uh, really nice. I know there are many uh, craft beers you can try, uh, Jason Kukula. <laughs> we won't hold you from that. Uh, anymore. Um, always well, I don't want to hold you guys off your coffee donut and your dart. Never mind my craft beer. <laughs> <laughs> you got True. heaters to burn, bro. Come on. Yeah. Wrap it up. Uh, Books, always a pleasure, my man. Thank you. Hey, fellas. Happy New Year. Uh, good to talk to you. I'll talk to you when I get back. Sounds good. There he is, uh, Jason Bukula, Sportsnet Draft Analyst, uh, former Director of Amateur Scouting of the Panthers, and the Pearl Hockey Group on the Atlas Pizza in Sports Bar Guest Holland. I'm really proud of you, Kron, with your, your French-Canadian goaltender factory question. Yeah. I know. Hey, I, I didn't have to think about it either. It just kind of came to me. What did you just mouth to me off the air? What did you just say? I like that guy. Yeah. I really like that guy. Yeah, he's good, eh? Yes. He's great. He's fun. And you know what? He's kind. He didn't take a shot at me like you did, Rusik, Rusic. Okay, well, it was there. It was. It's always there. <laughs> yeah, no, but I don't. I don't take those shots. I, know I just. I know. I know. I, I, I like that. I like that. I just. You're subtle. I just want to get a professional's opinion. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. I like it. He's very kind. I. I don't. Um, I wonder what his role would have been. Like he would have probably been Predators player development when it was your draft year. I, I don't no think idea. he was with the Panthers yet, so he wouldn't have had the book on you. Yeah. Too bad. You know what's funny? When I was in San Antonio, I got loaned out from Calgary to Florida, and, and San Antonio was Florida's farm system. Mm -hmm. And we were in the playoff spots. We were staying at the Hyatt on the Riverwalk in San Antonio. I so did fall into the water once. It was, it, it's, it'll, it'll creep up on you if you're not paying attention. The, the water will? Yeah. Or, or the libations along <laughs> the water the, will? The sidewalk is skinny. And, uh, and so the second that we were not in the playoffs... We got like punted to like some suburb with a crap hotel with like an oven and a microwave in it, and there were six of us living in a hotel. And they gave us a minivan to drive around. Like seven of us had a minivan to drive to the rink just and, to like do things. Yeah, we didn't even. You like, know, what we, were you doing? You were eliminated. Well, 
we we still had like 15 games left in the regular season, right? Oh, it wasn't playoffs, you were, right? You just eliminated from contention. Yeah. Oh yeah. And these were the loaned guys. Yes. For oh, staying. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> Jay Jay, Jay would come down from Florida and play a game or two, and then come back up and rehab. Oh man, we're, we're, our our flight was delayed or oversold in the morning. We were supposed to fly from San Antonio to Chicago to play a 2:30 in the afternoon game. So they flew the the guys that were starting the goalie in the top line. And the top pairing D, they were on the early flight. The rest Just of the team was the, 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 the remainder of the team flew on the other flight. And we they missed warm up. There's five of us on the ice for a warm up, and like it was just an absolute. Oh my fans dis- are like, man, this is a long rookie yeah. lap. There's a lot of them out here. <laughs> oh man, it was crazy, right? I was one year. Rick Rick Dudley called and said, "Hey, we need your services." So I, I need your services. Uh, I put my hand up. Um, <laughs> I love it. You'll be back Friday with us after uh, the Flames play those aforementioned Nashville Predators tomorrow night in Music City. Uh, we look forward to Friday. Um, thank you, Mr. Brinker. And I think having a guest on, well, I think it's something we're not going to do a lot because uh, we do like to have the spotlight on you, and deservedly so. But I did appreciate uh, your banter with Jason Bukula. Oh, yeah. You know what? you gotta, we, you got to get him on more when I'm on because i got a ton of questions. And the more I get comfortable with him, you guys probably won't have to ask him a single one. I'll just be I'll be shooting from the hip. Yeah, flying. Yeah, we'll just open the mics and sit back <laughs> yeah. and let yeah. you cook. Yeah. yeah, no problem. I'm yeah. in. Yeah, exactly. I Let's love that stuff Rose. too. I'm gonna oh, shoot yeah. from the hip. I'm gonna tell you the truth <laughs> yeah. on the radio. How it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, usually we fib. Yeah. So yeah. Um, speak for yourself, Rose. All right. Um that's Mr. Brent Cron, courtesy of all kind door services. We will talk to him on Friday after the Flames and Predators tomorrow night. Patrick, what do you got coming up at Mucho Big Show? Uh, we're going to continue the Canadian tour, uh, talk with Ottawa, and go to Murray Pam from Full Press Hockey, talk about the Senators and all their front office moves of late. Uh, they stink uh, right now, the Ottawa Senators. Yeah, they're not great. Yeah. Here's to a better 2024 for them. Hey, did you guys see that uh, Ross Atkins said they're comfortable with who they got at third base? Oh, yeah. Good. Well, they're, gotta, they're not going to. They say they're going to. Anyways, bye. Have a good day, up. everybody. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks, Kron. Bye. Thanks, guys. Bye. Sit, Ubu. Sit. Good dog. <laughs>